The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. of Analyze This and I am Summer Sibley Brown filling in for Neville James as the host. We are on WTJX FM 93.1 your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. You know I just try to do the R like Neville. I never get it. He will say that I can't I won't do it. I'm not going to do it this today. Okay I'm going to try. The R. I can't. I can't but he says the R is for Rakim because he loves Cause he loves he loves rap music and um <laughs> and so I am not going to try to do the R anymore. I'm sorry, y'all, but I just want you to know I am holding I'm holding space for Neville in in my heart with his with his R. It's a holiday today. We are off today. It is D Hamilton Jackson Day, November first, known as Bull and Bread, but it is David. Just so you know, the proper name if you're talking to your kids, the reason why they're not in school today is David Hamilton. Jackson Day became a holiday in 1981. He is a Virgin Islander that, you know, hopefully we're all familiar with. I'm going to say, you know, labor rights, education, um, the pursuit of liberty, freedom of the press. Um, what we know as Red Brick is actually named after David Hamilton Jackson. And today in Grove, it will have some festivities. Um, and we know it's an election year. So a gubernatorial election year. So I just, you know, it might be packed. It might be packed of people in shots. We'll see. It's also want to remind you that we're entering this morning every day in election season. We've, once we're on, we try to have a candidate on for you to hear from. And so the candidate this morning, we're hoping to have Colin is candidate Senator Alma Francis Heiliger from the St. Thomas District. Um, and as we wait for the senator to call in, I just want to remind you all, you know, early voting ended yesterday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, they extended it till seven. So I hope you got in. And if you did not get in, um, and you're, you're, you're kind of rounding out your time and you're still thinking, you're still making some decisions or if you made your decision, the next time you get to go vote is on November 8th, on November 8th. And before today's shows, I'm going to recite where the, um, polling centers are because we had a caller call in for that yesterday. But in our first hour, you know, we talked about philanthropy. We talked about the civic sector. I had the privilege of having a wonderful conversation with Deanna James of the St. Croix Foundation. Um, and what really excites me about most of our shows, I'm going to keep saying this, is that I learned something, even from people I know or or I feel inspired or there is something for me to aspire to or there's something that I am reminded of um, in the way that I want to show up. And Deanna said in her closing, she said, take only what you need, right, and give more than you get. And I was like, you know, what are the ways in myself? How am I showing up? Um, 
in this world, in in this community, in my space, is that a principle that I apply to myself? Um, a lot of my personal growth has been self-reflection. Um, and so I hope that as you listen to analyze this in the mornings, yeah, you get numbers um, and you get inspired and you get education and hopefully you get enjoyable um, conversation, but also that we are reflecting because I hear Neville um, do this a lot. Um, self-reflection of the role we're playing in our community or the roles we have played. And um, there's a silent charge for the role that you can continue to play. Right. Uh, so I hope you feel so moved as you listen. Today is week two, day two. Um, and we're just waiting for the candidate to, to come on and then we're going to start the candidate speaks, but the candidate speaks, let's talk about it, right? It is the series where we're encouraging you to listen to candidates, um, to hear what they might have to offer, to get to know them a little better. If this is the first time you're hearing them, um, Senator Alma Francis Heiliger is a, you know, I have to make sure I say, I, I think I'd be mixing up the senator name. Hold on. Let me double check because we want to get it a hundred percent. Nope. I said it right. She's number eight on the ballot. Senator Alma Francis Heiliger in the St. Thomas St. John district. Right. Um, and so that was who will be joining us. But in general, the candidate speaks is about information. So, you know, if you if you don't know who the candidate is, because believe it or not, a lot of people may not know who people are who are running in their districts or even on the other islands. So it's another chance for you to get to meet the candidate, to hear about their experience, who they are, why they ran for office, and also to kind of look across a broad spectrum of topics. I mean, we do rapid fire, right? We ask about education, infrastructure, um, land and water use plan. We ask um, about the recovery. We ask about economic development. Like in our 40 minutes, because it is a 40 minute spot, we are really rapid firing just to give you a sense of where the candidate stands on a range of activities and if Neville was here he would say I saying his name a lot this morning I must really miss him but if Neville was here he would say we'd ask aspirants aspirant questions and incumbent incumbent questions and those incumbent questions where they differ or deepen is because now you we are sitting on hopefully your record what you know, some of what you share is not just your aspiration for the territory, but also what you have been able to achieve on behalf of the territory. You know, we remind everyone when it comes to the series that you got 15 people you're pointing in office. And so that vote really represents a seventh um, or less than a seventh of what it takes to make and move um, legislation if the body's working in its totality. Um, and it's been a real privilege to speak to those who have put themselves forward to lead um, because that is exactly what they're doing. They have put themselves forward to lead, which opens them to not just maybe what we might see as the benefits, or but really the responsibility of leadership and um, accountability. Um, another thing I think that I have really been trying to make clear in this Candidate Speak series is a lot of this is, yes, vetting the candidates, building your team, building who you think should go into office, whether you're looking at 
it is important for you. We had a caller call in last week and he talked about opposition, you know, like how, and you know, the fact that that builds muscle. Um, and you may not agree with that. You know, there's some people who may want to go with a complete slate of one particular party. There could be a voter out there who's like, I'm changing it all. What we've been doing on The Candidate Speaks is we're talking about like the possible arguments or reasoning behind any one of those decisions, hopefully in a manner that you find helpful. Um, because the commercial I would have listened to every day, it's one of my favorites when you hear the um, Board of Elections commercial. Voting is your right. It's the right thing to do. It's also a responsibility. And our responsibility, I'm going to say it again and again, does not end at the ballot box. Our responsibility does not end at the ballot box, right? That's that's just the last thing we will do on November 8th that will be tabulated. A decision will be made um, and those decisions based on all our numbers will be shared publicly and we will have the next elected leaders of the Virgin Islands of the United States. And it would be in the Board of Elections, the Board of Education. We're also going to, it would be in the executive branch, so our gubernatorial candidates and our senatorial candidates in the two districts. And then we have the job of then monitoring the two and four year cycle that begins in January 2023 after people are sworn in officially build their office, and they go about being the people doing the people business. And in that people, that's the place where we have a role, right? So today's role is listening, it's learning, it's listening to the candidate and the candidates for their values um, and to see if they align with yours for their experience, um, to see if you personally feel they have the requisite experience and skill, level of passion, love, care, whatever you're voting by, right? Whatever it is you're voting by, that's what you're listening for. So you could go out there and make that vote. And, I, you know, I like to remind people that um, Analyze This is a Podcast. Right? You could find it on Podbean. So if there's if you want to go back and you want to hear from someone and or you or you want to rehear someone, you have the opportunity to do so. It also streams live on Facebook. Right. So you can also find it there. Let me check. Do we have the senator online? OK, we're waiting for the senators to come in and we will make sure that we um Hold on, let me just deal with this. We're going to make sure that we get her in, and when she does get in, that she gets her full 40 minutes. Senator, if you are listening to us, um, you can either text me your phone number or you can call in if your Zoom isn't working at 718 4555. 718-4555. That's another number you could reach us at. Or you could try 718-0761. Um, we are looking forward to talking to you this morning. And, you know, even, I guess, even Zoom notes a holiday senator, right? So you're working on a holiday. And that's an interesting question. I wonder how much senators are actually celebrating the holiday today in campaign season. But if you need to call in because Zoom hasn't connected us, you can call us at 718-4555. And people, I think we might have the senator. 
So while we wait on that to be finalized, tell me, think about, I was asking callers, I just gave the number, if there is D. Hamilton Jackson Day activities happening on St. Thomas, please feel free to call in and let us know at the end of the show, um, at the end of the hour in the last 10 minutes, because I've highlighted that there are activities that will be happening on St. Croix, but have not highlighted, I do not know, I'm sorry, if there are activities happening on St. Thomas. And D. Hamilton Jackson Day, you know, that's a, in my in my book, it's a big holiday. Hopefully, it's a big holiday in your book. If you are a parent, um, go to VI, vi.now. There's information on D. Hamilton Jackson to help to help your kids learn about who he is. It's a quick synopsis. It's an easy read. That's helpful. And so we're two minutes late. So we're going to end today at 9.52 to give our the Honorable Senator Alma Francis Heiliger. Good morning. Good morning, my dear. How are you? I am wonderful this um, <laughs> beautiful Tuesday. That's actually a holiday. I was like, oh, we have the Senator calling in yes. on a holiday, but happy yeah, to have you. Okay, so what we the first thing we usually do on analyze this is we ask you, um, Senator, to introduce yourself to the listening audience in case there are people out there who don't know who you are. And so we're talking about, you know, work experience, education, um, where you were born, who you come from, all those things are welcome uh -oh. in that in, in that introduction. Not the whole who you come from. <laughs> yeah, you know, in the Virgin Islands, that's important because we, you know, as a community, we close knit. I literally had to run a whole entire campaign, a, a, a commercial, telling people who I, who I belong to. Like, it's that bad. Because when you're on the campaign trail, sometimes you would think that people want to know, well, okay, what are you doing for this? What are you doing for that? Sometimes the very first question I get asked, who you fuck? Like that's, literally, that's a that's a VI thing. <laughs> that is a Virgin Islands thing. So, Senator, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Senator Alma Francis Heiliger. I am a member of the thirty fourth legislature. I am also a candidate for the thirty fifth legislature, representing um, one Virgin Islands. I come from the district of St. Thomas, St. John. But I will tell you this: I am a firm believer in one Virgin Islands. I believe that when I hit that Senate floor, every decision that I make represents the entirety of the VI. And I tell people point blank, I don't really see a separation between the districts. When I fight for St. Thomas, St. John, I also fight for St. Croix with the same tenacity and vigor. Um, I also made sure as a senator, because I truly believe this, not only did I have staff in St. Croix, I also have staff in St. John and St. Thomas because I believe I have to be the person that the people chose to employ, and I really try to work on their behalf. I do quite a bit. Um, I worked at the legislature for over 20 years. I worked for two senators, um, former Senator Cole, former um, Senator Lorraine Elberry. I worked in central staff for several years, and I actually was working in central staff in the MIS division when I was actually elected to the Senate. So I am literally that employee that transitioned from the legislature to being a senator. And it has been a very great experience having an opportunity to go from, you know, a another thing I did, which was being a talk show host for many years. Um, you might have remembered me, Alma, in the morning and 
those types of shows that were very community oriented is what really pushed and propelled me to move forward and be like, you know what? I want to seat at the table because all these things I'm hearing and having these conversations day in, day out with the people, I want to be in a position to really give their voices an opportunity to be heard. And I really thank the people for giving me this chance. Um, some of the other things that I do, um, I also am an owner of a radio station, Radio 1000. Um, we part- we got We've been in radio for over 20-plus years, but I love radio. It gave us an opportunity to really be a part of the community, um, have Radio 1 as a community-oriented station that focuses on education, enrichment, and enlightenment. Uh, we've been working hard to really push and rebrand that, but it's a plus. Um, other things that I do is I have just been dealing with um, my family, um, working hard for the people and just looking forward to just really helping propel the Virgin Islands forward in a positive way. So, and I'm sure as we start to get into this interview, you know, we could discuss many other aspects of my life. But again, I am Senator Alma Francis Heiliger. I am number eight on the ballot, and I thank you for giving me this opportunity. So, Senator Heiliger, yes. I, you know, one of the questions that I'm always curious is, is, yes. is, is is why I know you said you were you the radio station helped propel, but why did yes. you actually choose to to run for office? And we're gonna touch on the surface, like what's your one word of why? And then when we come back from break, I want to get deeper into that. But yeah, why did you choose to run for office? Well, outside of wanting to really be that voice, um, there was another incident that happened in my life. Um, about 11 years ago, someone came to my family home and murdered my brother. And when that incident happened, it, it was almost like, uh, it's an eye opener. And when, even though I was grieving and I was hurt and I didn't know what was going on and I was very upset because all of a sudden my mind started to think about a lot of things, not only his passing, and somebody choosing to take his life. But it started to think about what caused it. Why would somebody want to kill him? Why would it be a situation of that would be the only option for someone? So what types of what, things are happening in our society that Senator, could it be economic? What, yes, what we're going to do, no, we're going to pause right here, go to break, and we're no going to pick back up with what caused this and how that motivated you to take a seat at the table. You are listening to Analyze This, and we will be right back after break. El sistema de elecciones de las Islas Vírgenes lo está haciendo más fácil para que tú formes parte de nuestro equipo por medio de nuestro programa de voluntarios. Estamos en busca de personas buenas como tú que puedan proveer a cada votante el apoyo que necesitan para que efectivamente puedan participar en el proceso de votación. Puede comenzar recogiendo y completando la aplicación para voluntarios de cualquiera de nuestras oficinas en el territorio. Usted puede servir como monitor. También tienes la opción de convertirte en un facilitador, asegurando que los votantes que están votando por primera vez, los envejecientes y la comunidad de deshabilitados puedan votar con confidencia y acertadamente. Si tienes el tiempo y estás dispuesto a servir, hay un lugar para ti. Solo inscríbete. 
Si quieres más información, llama al 340-773-1021. Y recuerda, el votar no es solo su derecho, es lo correcto hacer. And that's why I say, and you think I'm being evasive, I'm not. Let's all get vaccinated and you'll know it when you see it. Dr. Anthony Fauci on setting the goal for ending the pandemic. Last question, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. You're wearing me down, though, Magna. <laughs> not, not intended here. I'm Magna Chakrabarty. On Point is journalism that cuts through the noise. Weekdays at 10 a.m. right here on WTJX FM 93.1. It's late October, and that means it's time for the Soul Show's Halloween special. Songs of gremlins, voodoo, and fear will befall you. I'm Mike Canton, the host of The Soul Show. Lock your door and join me. Saturday, October 29th, starting at 7 p.m., right here on WTJXFM If you are just joining us, we are in the middle of Candidate Speaks with number eight on the ballot in the St. Thomas St. John District, Senator Alma Francis Heiliger, who just shared, um, was in the middle of sharing a really personal story that of what motivated her to run. And so you were talking about the home invasion um, that led to the loss of the life of your brother and you questioning um, what would make that happen in our community. So we're back to that part of your conversation. Okay. Well, thank you, and welcome back. Um, what I wanted to say, what I was sharing is that as much as it was a tragedy for me and a loss, I, I, I didn't just let it end there. It wasn't just like I went into a grieving mode. I went into a thought process mode. What was happening in our community that would have led up to someone coming to my brother's home and taking his life? I started to question crime. I started to question um, socioeconomic issues. I started to question um, family dynamic, like a whole skew of things as to what anything could have played a role into why so much murders and different things was happening in our community. And for me, when I started to question those things and I was seeing what was happening in so many different aspects with our education, with all these different things, I said, I said, Alma, how do you help fix it? You can't really do much. I mean, it's the one thing being a talk show host. I love it. I'm not even going to tell you how much I loved it. But, and I still do it from time to time. I go on the radio on a weekly basis to keep my public updated and my employers updated as to what I'm doing and on their behalf as a representative. But I also knew that if I had an opportunity to be at the table, I could help be that change agent to help really focus and change some of these things that I saw that was affecting our community, that maybe my brother's life didn't go in vain, that I could have taken what I was able to gather through his death and be able to help someone else. 
So, but you talked about, you know, taking that seat at the table and really wanting to find a way to, to address some of these longstanding issues. So this round usually functions as um, rapid fire. We ask broad questions across a lot of issues. Um, and you can tell us what you have done in your existing service or what it is you seek to do should you be given consent to govern in the 35th, right, if the people reelect you. So um, you mentioned crime. So I want to talk about crime on public safety because um, it just feels like a really natural segue. Um, is there anything you've done or seek to do in, in that area in your role as a policymaker? Well, when it comes to crime, there were um, several things I participated in as a senator. But one of my pieces of legislation that it have now become largely two pieces of it um, that had to do with um, doing crimes, had to do with um, crimes against our children. And a lot of times we seem to have to be, we're in a society where sexual abuse, sexual neglect, sexual assault on our children and um, negligence seem to be something that sometimes we sweep under the rug. And when we had so many cases come out over the last couple of years of children, you know, having to deal with situations where they went to um, administrators or people in leadership to really help them and they never got the help they needed because for some strange delusional reason we have this idea that certain things need to not be talked about and we have laws on the books that where several people are listed that if a child comes to you or you even suspect something is happening to a child by legal obligation you have to report and file it and because you could be the very person that steps in and stops the child from being abused in any sort of way. And we kept recognizing that there was a narrative that kept coming out that people weren't doing this, even though they were legally obligated to do it. And I went in and we created a law that changed that if you do not protect the children of this territory like you're obligated to, you once convicted, you will become a felon and you will serve a minimum mandatory sentence of two years in prison. And I know when I brought this piece of legislation forward and it's now law, some some from the AG's office, they were in support of it, but they were questioning, you know, do, is it severe to put somebody two years behind because they didn't say something? And I stopped and I basically told them, is it severe when a child is being raped? Is it severe when a child is being molested? Is it severe when a child is being beaten and no adult is stepping in to protect them? So my thing, this two-year mandatory sentence doesn't mean anything if you actually do what you're supposed to do. It's a law in the books that if you don't follow the law, that would be your punishment if you're convicted. We have to stop aside and really start protecting the children of this territory. And I was not going to be a senator sitting back and acting like this is some willy-nilly situation that when I saw people not doing their job, I told them on the floor, you have to put the fear of God and these individuals to understand that it is their duty to protect these children. And if I have to change the law to make them a felon, as well as put them in jail for two years mandatory minimum, maybe they will think twice about not doing what they're supposed to do. So, I'm sorry, I'm very passionate. No, about listen, so this is, your 40, this is your 40 minutes, right? And oh. it is for you to get the, you know, the listenership to, to, to get to know you better and to make decisions. So please, 
feel free to share your passion. You know, there's words we can't say on NPR when we're passionate, but everything you said is appropriate. And I want to move you along because we're talking about children, right? Um, yeah. The Department of Education, you sit in an oversight role. Um, yeah with the department, but also there might be policies and needs. So where do you feel we are in terms of, of education and specific with the recovery and COVID dollars for education? Well, I would say this. Um, we had a very rough time. You know, we came out of a hurricane. We were dealing with COVID. These young people had to deal with learning from a virtual standpoint, which um, from all statistical data has set them back. And that's just the reality we're dealing with. And from my perspective, I think that more of our dollars in education actually need to get to the children. When I was on the Senate floor the other day, I had a conversation with the incoming commissioner and her team that was there as we were questioning education. And what one of the things I asked them had to do with, please explain to me, how is it we have a department that is so top-heavy? How can we assure that more of the dollars are getting to the children so that they could get a better education? And I think one of the things, she did agree with me, and I asked them, well, have you calculated how much funding actually goes per child? And at the time, they said they, didn't have, they had not calculated. I said, well, I already did it for you. And it's anywhere between 11000 to $12,000 per child. And I shared with them that when my brother was murdered, I had to raise his two children. And one of them I sent to private school to the tune of $8,500 a year. And his sister, who's currently now in school, she is now calculated at getting $12,000 a year based on our calculations as to how much money is being put into education. And their education is starkly different. Hmm. And I said, how does one child in public school is being spent $12,000 on and another child got spent $85,000 on? And they are so different in the type of quality of education they got. Just for clarification, you're saying yes. 8500 Yes. Okay. Versus 12000 and Yes. The one that went to public school is calculated as getting $12,000 based on the amount of money we put into education divided by all the students. Each child is roughly $12,000. But the child I sent to private school that was 8500 a year, his education was totally different. So and, and I'm thinking, why is one getting more money, but the quality is different? You understand what I'm saying? I that do. means a lot of the money is not getting to the children. It is being top-heavy with all the levels of administration. And by the time the little pittance gets down to the children, it affects the quality of their education. We have to stop that. So when and we and while, while she agreed with me on the Senate floor, I kept saying, how do we change it? How do we, how do we change the, the fact that we have not put more money into sports and all these other types of creative arts. I'm 100% in support of academia. You understand me? But I'm also in support of a well-rounded child. So as we talk about well-rounded, right, um, yeah. and we talk about the student and as we move them through, as we move them through our system, right, so we want to keep them safe. We want to hopefully get them the best quality educator education yes. where yes. are you on workforce development and our labor system right like how how does that feed um, each other what policies well, can you make you, one of the things that i am pushing for and um i think we already turned in the legislation to really try to team these up i am a, a a young lady that went to high school and i went under the vocational track 
Okay. And in that vocational track, from my 10th, 11th, and 12th grade years, I was able to learn accounting, computers, type, everything um, in the computer field at that time. About two years after that, while I was in the university, both my parents died of cancer back to back. And because I was able to get that vocational training, I was able to go into the workforce and be able to take care of my siblings and myself. Do you understand? So I am a senator that is in full support of our children not only graduating with a diploma, but also having them graduate with some sort of CPE training and skill when they also leave high school. I think we have to build a workforce that not only stems on academics, but also on teaching our young people some sort of skill for their survival in this world. Because if I did not make that decision and I was not able to go and send from me and my siblings because I went down that vocational track, I might not be who and what I am today. Mm. So I am telling you that it is very, very important that we start pairing these things together because it is a plus when it comes to developing the workforce of this territory. We have to start teaching our children a lot more about entrepreneurship and, and knowing that they could become their own bosses. A lot of times you hear people say, you know, it's good, just get a government job, but it's the, it's the small businesses that run this society. It's the entrepreneurs that pay all these taxes and all these businesses that fund us. Why not start to educate them and teach them to be a part of that? Not only just saying, you know, get a cushy government job. I, I hear that so much from individuals. When I try to tell them, sometimes educate our children to be and want more than just to say, let's go down one pathway. So, so Senator, Senator yes. Heiliger, so in your explanation, you actually took me to the next thought I was thinking about, right? You're talking okay. about small business, private business. So that was a great segue on economic development, right? Um how can we help small business in from your role as a policymaker? How can we help those small businesses better better thrive? Um, I want to go to economic development. And as I talk about small business, I also want to talk about like WAPA, right? The energy crisis. So oh, if you could transition to those two, yeah, I think I that would be great. You me and you, I don't know what you either are reading my mind or I'm reading yours. Because literally the minute you said about economic and small business, the first thing popped in my head was WAPA. Mm. Because until we get a handle on WAPA, we're never going to be able to really push some of the businesses and types of business and, and the type of success that some of these businesses need if we do not rein in this one utility that is sucking the life out of business in this territory. I am a small business owner. Like I told you, I own a radio station. When I got to the point that my profits Half of them, of any money that I was bringing in, was going to the utility company. I had a problem. Oh. That was a major problem. When you are, say, for example, in the United States, your, your utility bill might be maybe 5% of your overall monthly cost. In the Virgin Islands, for some, it's past 50%. This should never be the situation. And, and we want to talk about our EDA program. We want to talk about having businesses coming to the territory. That electrical company is going to cause people not to want to come here. You're going to have a situation where people don't even want to open brick-and-mortar businesses anymore because the electrical cost is so high. And how I feel that we could be encouraging different types of businesses, 
You know, there's a lot of laws on the books already. I think a lot of times it's for um, enforcement and incentives. You have you have laws on the books for entrepreneurship. You have laws on the books for apprenticeship. You have laws on the books for assisting businesses to get um, information through different programs, SBA and all these different things. But I think as a government, we have to do a lot better job at educating the public at a lot of the different programs that are available to really help entrepreneurs. And because everything for me doesn't have to be legislated. Hmm. A lot of times when we empower some of these agencies and we give them the power to do certain things, their policy should dictate what should be able to help some of our um, businesses in the territory. But what I think that we're failing at is making sure that a lot of these businesses and companies know what's available to them. You understand what I'm saying? I do understand what you're saying. And I think you just highlighted something um, really interesting. I want you to finish your thought and then I'll I'll, I'll come in with my question. But it's around what, when should a legislature, legislator make policy? Okay. And, and the thing that I say to people is that, you know, a lot of times people look at senators and they say, well, this is, you have to fix this, you have to fix this, you have to fix this. But in reality, I think we have to also do a better job when it comes to political literacy in the territory to really push and educate the public as to the separation between the three branches of government. So I was telling someone the other day that I was on social media and someone made a comment underneath one of my, my posts. And it basically said, you know, Senator, you will get my vote once you fix the pothole. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of chuckled a little bit because I thought to myself, but I did my part in trying to fix the pothole. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because in my part is appropriating the funds. My part is coming up with the money and saying, hey, if you contact me through public works, or you're in your neighborhood and you contact us as senators and you say, listen, we have these areas that have major problems with roads. My part of the job is to now go inside of that purse, take the monies out and say, here, executive branch, we're going to give you these monies to go fix these 30 roads right here. You understand what I'm saying? So my part, once that's completed by turning that funding over to the executive branch, it is now their duty to now execute and go and get that pothole fixed. So I think sometimes when the frustration comes out, you know, I, I think a lot more education with us trying to get the public to know that there's only so much a senator can do. Because when uh, the executive branch might not fix that pothole at the time, because we've heard some of the issues they've said they've been having, whether it's so many projects and there's only so many businesses on the island to be working on multiple projects at the same time or you know they're out of equipment or you know they have to draw down federal dollars or whatever so, the case is the, the point we're going to take <laughs> our second break and we will be back in two minutes to let senator number eight alma francis heiliger finish that point on roles, appropriate roles of government and talk a little bit more about her legislations that she's been able to pass. Banking for your business. At Bank of St. Croix, our mobile apps provide access to business accounts on the go. 
and our merchant card services accept credit and debit payments anywhere, anytime. Plus, the online banking platform means your bank is always open. Bank of St. Croix has two locations, one in Gallows Bay at 340-773-8500 and one in Peter's Rest at 340-713-8500. BankofStCroix.com News happens all week, all around the world. If you want to understand what this French election is all about... Four candidates are running unopposed, and three of them met reporters Thursday. Whatever the outcome of today's elections, the secessionist genie is out of the bottle. News, analysis, perspective, music, books, and sports, too. Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition, Saturdays at 8 a.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. Good morning, neighbor. I see you got your bumper stickers and your hat sign up, Paulie. Yes, I'm so ready for this election season. Me too. Just waiting for the info on the polling places and then ballots. What polling places? You mean voting centers? The election system is using voting centers this year, where you can go anywhere across the island, walk in, fill out a ballot. Just bring your ID. Really? Because my daughter lives in Tutu, but walk all the way by the airport and would try to run back home before the sun goes down to vote. Nope. You're no longer stuck to just your neighborhood on election day. Voting centers mean you can vote anywhere in your district. And the next time, try the early voting option too. Skip the line altogether on election day. Girl, you have all the good tips this year, man. So, who's going to win? Ha! Read my yard sign. Then pick any voting center. Just remember, voting is not just your right. It's, it's the, the right, right thing, thing to do. A message from the election system of the Virgin Islands. And if you are just tuning in, we are in the middle of our Candidate Speak series, and we are talking to number eight, Senator Alma Francis Heiliger from the St. Thomas St. John District. Um, and we were talking about, you know, in, in, the, in the last quarter, we, we, we touched education, we touched WAPA, we touched small business. You even touched infrastructure in terms of what... I heard you say is your role in infrastructure is we hold the purse strings, we appropriate the money, we have oversight. Your your body doesn't actually make the fill the pothole, right? That's not actually yeah. your job. And um we give them the money to do it and the executive branch gotta execute and do it. And so in in, in you've you've sat in the Senate for, for you know, you've done a term. Um yeah. and wanting you to to give you a chance to to really clarify because you said something that was moving to me. You said you don't believe that there should be a policy for everything. So now that you've been been there for a year, what is you know your short and dirty on when policy is necessary? And you talked about enforcement and oversight and how do you see those in your role if you're reelected? Okay. I think policy is necessary when it's not when it's clearly needed on behalf of the public and it's just not implemented. Um, you could have an agency that an issue might arrive in the community and a policy could be created. But if you see the public is still complaining and saying this isn't being done, this is, and even as um, senators, we bring them in and say, you know what, this is something that you guys should be doing on behalf of the people and 
policy-wise. If we get to the point that we've done that several times and it's still not being implemented, that is when the only times, a lot of times, I feel that senators should step in and make it a law. So that's how my thought process is on that. And I am one of those that will be more than happy to bring you in. Shoot, if you decide you want to keep playing games, I would also co-sign and subpoenaing you to come in. And, and, and in my capacity as senator, we've had to do that several times in this term. Um, most recently, under government operations, we had to subpoena WAPA because we had invited them to several meetings and they had to, they requested postponement um, three or four times. And by the fourth or fifth time they asked for another postponing, we've had enough, you know. So uh, we're going to just subpoena you and call it a day. So, you know, Neville will say, you know, we ask, we ask aspirants, aspirant questions and incumbent, incumbent questions. You've yeah. had to subpoena people. You've had to subpoena yeah. people who also serve within the executive branch, I assume, right? Yeah. Um, in, in this tenure, when we talk about like political will, um, the ability to do the job on behalf of the people, it also mm -hmm. requires relationships. So what for you is the balance between you getting that done and like, I'm going to subpoena you and also working cooperatively with the executive branch um, to move things forward? And and even working with my colleagues to get stuff done. It's a, it's a holistic um, approach you have to take where you have to have sometimes compromise. You have to be able to cooperate. Um, one of the things with me is I am a no-party candidate. I'm an independent. I am also a member of the minority. And I remember when I first initially got elected, um, people were very concerned. They were like, you know, we really, really am happy because I tried, I ran like four times before I got elected. And a lot of people were very happy that I finally got elected, but the conversation turned to, she's not going to get anything done. Because unfortunately, look at her dynamic. She, she's a no party independent minority. She's not in the majority. She's not, how is she going to get the job done? But somehow, the individual that they thought was at the disadvantage is the freshman senator with the most bills passed and that are now law. And that I can lend to understanding the dynamic of the legislature and the executive branch and knowing how to cooperate and work with my colleagues and also bring legislation forward that was truly benefiting and on behalf of the people of this territory in some shape or form. So and once you go ahead. No, so what that that's what my question is. What are some of these legislations? Like if you could list a few of the legislations you were able well, to pass. I would be more than happy to do so. Um, one of them right now, um, it was Bill number 34-0037. It is now law, Act number 8463. And this was an act which assisted people of the Virgin Islands with reimbursement of costs with proper documentation for individuals who paid for funeral expenses and or family debt. Um, for reimbursement for up to $10,000. What that is, is sometimes when people immediately die, um, there might be issues with family members going back and forth with trying to pay for funerals. Um, there might be immediate debt that happens right away. And of course, to get things paid, a lot of times people have to go through the probate process to even deal with situations. If you, if, if there are individuals that have that left behind bank ac bank accounts, credit unions, insurance stuff that beneficiaries, 
you could literally go and if you happen to have paid for the funeral, you could go into that bank or credit union or whatever with an affidavit and all of the receipts, and they could release up to $10,000 to make sure that those things are covered on behalf of that individual immediately. And the rest of the estate or whatever could go through the probate process. But sometimes that initial cash is what's needed. And sometimes some family members don't have it, but the person that passed away did, and it's sitting there. So that was one of the pieces of legislation we passed. That one, I got the support of my colleagues 100% unanimously. Um, another legislation that we we did that we worked on, um, this one was... Um, in regards to bill number 340040, where I went in and that bill was to create the nurse licensure program here in the Virgin Islands. But as a senator, I saw one aspect of that bill was missing and we went in and we wrote um, an entire section to add to the bill and that had to do with when these nurses came in or they come into this compact, they don't have any requirement to go to get licenses or either go to the nurse licensure board. So you could have had nurses hired from abroad and they just show up here in the Virgin Islands at your doctor's office, at the hospital, and there is no documentation of them, no paperwork, nothing. Because everything is with the company they're hired with stateside. So they could just get on a plane and start working here. And I said, we can't have that. So I went in added to the bill where we said they have to make sure once they land their employer within 10 days have to report to the nurse licensure board all their data information and if they don't do it within time certain there's some very hefty fees to guarantee that it's done and if for some reason that something is a foul they have to report it to the ag's office and the necessary agencies because if you recall or i don't know if you saw in the news last year we had a nurse, I believe, working in the hospital that wasn't a real nurse. She came down here with fake credentials, was hired. It, it was chaos. So we want to make sure that the people of the territory are protected. And that was another piece of legislation that is now law. Um, a, a third one that I did that I, I think so far for the year I got 14 done um, as a freshman. But another one that I did had to do with um, the Crown Act. Um, this was one of my initial babies when I was um, sworn in as a senator on January the 11th. I turned it in, and that has to do with hair discrimination. And just know that in the Virgin Islands, you know, we don't tolerate discrimination of the skin, and that was something we as a society have shunned away from. But then they started to turn to hair. Um, this was a national movement, both locally and nationally. Right now, they're trying to pass it as a federal law. I know Congressman Cory Booker has it. It was able to pass the the House, and it's now moved on to the Senate. Um, we're trying to figure out where it's going to be. But locally, we were able to pass it here, so you cannot discriminate against people's hair and hair textures. And I'll give you one more. This one had to do with um, bill number 34, that's 0212, and it is now law, Act 8588. And this was my longest baby. <laughs> this one had a very long labor situation of about a year. 
when I initially went into office, one of the things I wanted to understand a lot better had to do with unclaimed properties and unclaimed funds. Um, as a talk show host, we would have a caller call in very frustrated because if you leave money in a bank or credit union or something for extended period of time and the money's not issued to the individual, you didn't do anything with it, those funding, what ends up happening is they could take those monies and they have to turn it over to the lieutenant governor's office. And then the lieutenant governor's office has to publish a listing on an annual basis to tell the public that, hey, you need to go and do this. You need to come and get this money because we're holding it for you. Apparently, according to them, due to the lack of funding, for 10 years, they have not published this listing. So for 10 years, they have amassed an amount of over $43 million of unclaimed funds and properties that the public was not aware of because nobody had published the listing to tell the public. And what I stepped in and did was create this law that not only they have to publish the listing, but they also have to create a database where anyone at any given time, if you want to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, 10 o'clock, go on this database. You could search your name or family members to see if you are owed monies, and you could also go through the process online to recover those funds. Um, we were able to um, find monies not only in the trust account, which was to the mass of $15.3 million, but the balance of the money was in the general fund over $26 million at the time. So collectively, that's where we came up with this almost $43 million. So for me, that was one of the things I was very happy about because it took me a year of really trying to get data and information. And, you know, I got a lot of pushback because for some reason, this account, uh, for some reason, people didn't want to talk about it. So, I literally had to try to get the inspector general involved to, for the for them to release the information so I could get this law passed. So, but I will say after a lot of pushback, the lieutenant governor's office did participate, and I do appreciate all the hard work that they put in to help me with us getting this bill done. So, Senator, I mean, 40 yeah. minutes goes really, really, really quickly. <laughs> um, in, I'm going to give you two minutes to wrap up. Tell the people who you are, what is your number, why they should vote for you, and hopefully we'll be talking again soon. Definitely. Well, thank you once again for giving me this opportunity to be here. I am Senator Alma Francis Heiliger. I am number eight on the ballot. I come out of the district of St. Thomas, St. John, but I come out of the Virgin Islands, and I believe in one Virgin Islands. And it is my hope that come November the 8th, because we're already finished with early voting, that for those of you that still have to go to the polls, that you please push number eight and give me an opportunity to continue on with so many of the other pieces of legislation that I would like to bring forward. As a freshman senator, I think I've submitted about between 50 bills and amendments, and I am really hoping that if I'm allowed to continue to be your employee and work on your behalf, that I will be able to complete the process and continue on to help building a much better Virgin Islands. So thank you once again. This is Senator Alma Francis Heiliger, number eight on the ballot, and do have a blessed day. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us on the Candidate Speak series today. Um, listening audience, we have just finished another interview with another, in this case, aspirant who is an incumbent, Senator 
Alma Frances Heiliger is a sitting senator in the St. Thomas, St. John district. She's asking for your vote. Um, and you had an opportunity, I'm sure, on many platforms to listen to her speak. Um, and today, again, on the candidate speak, she shared some of her passion with us. I want to remind you all, like, she's, like you know, we ended the interview with saying early voting ended yesterday. Early voted ending yesterday at 7. But on November 8th, um, you will be able to go out and vote in the 2022 general election and the voting centers, right? Not you could vote. So we now know you could vote in any one of these voting centers. I want to call them out for you by district. So in the St. Croix district, the voting centers will be the DC Canagator Recreation Center, the St. Dunstan's Episcopal School Auditorium, the St. Croix Central High School Modular Gymnasium, the St. Croix Educational Complex Gymnasium, and then Arthur A. Richards K-8 School Modular Cafeteria. A voting center, just so you know, is an alternative to, to, to the traditional neighborhood-based precincts where the jurisdiction opts to use the vote centers. Voters may cast their ballots on election day at any voting center so you don't have to be in your neighborhood i live in tight village i don't have to go to pro b larson i don't have to go to Canagata. i can go to any voting center that is in proximity to me in order to vote you will need your identification let me do the the voting centers in the saint thomas saint john district the voting centers will be this is saint thomas St. John. So on St. Thomas, it's the University of the Virgin Islands Sports and Fitness Center. It's Charlotte Amali High School Gymnasium. It is Tutu Park Mall, the former Scotia Bank location. Ivana Eudora Ken High School Cafeteria. And on St. John, it's the Julia Sproul Elementary School Cafeteria and the Calabash Boom Community Center. Um, again, November 8th, we just end the Candidate Speak series. There is a podcast. If you want to re-listen, you can get it on Podbean. Um, really, really excited today. We had Deanna James talking a little bit about philanthropy, a little bit about food and wine, a little bit about the work of St. Croix Foundation. And of course, we just finished listening to candidate number eight, Senator Alma Francis Heiliger. I am Summer Sibley Brown and I am filling in for the Neville James um, on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. Um, this was Analyze This and I will see you tomorrow. Views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. I'm Attorney General Denise George. How much do you know about Virgin Islands laws? Injustices can happen anywhere and in situations where we least expect. I make it my mission to empower you with knowledge about our laws and the issues that affect our Virgin Islands community. Join me on Justice Matters, a new talk show that aims to inform you and engage you to be a part of the solution. Saturdays at 1130 a.m. on WTJX-FM 93.1. 
You know, I grew up hearing that women are bad with money. But like many of you, I spent years paying bills, managing checking accounts, and taking care of my family. So, turns out, women are pretty good with money after all. And now, I'm taking control of my financial future by saving for retirement. It's never too late to start, and there's a great website to help you. Check out WeSaySaveIt.org and jumpstart your retirement savings on your budget and your timeline. That's WeSaySaveIt.org. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.